So this is where the danger comes in. You've got a very high volume of burglaries of occupied homes by armed intruders. Anything that serves as a deterrent that slows them down gives you an opportunity to better manage the time, better manage the distance. You know, most criminals are opportunities. If you remove the opportunity, you don't have problems. This is the In Self-Defense Podcast with Don West, Steve Moses, and Sean Vincent, exploring high-profile self-defense cases and identifying the lessons learned for concealed carriers. Hey everybody, it's Sean Vincent. Thanks for listening in to the podcast today. Today I'm joined by our friend Tom Givens. He's been on the podcast before. If you don't know him, you should. Uh, Steve Moses, our own CCW Safe contributor, our friend, our firearms instructor. He's uh, been a long time friends with Tom. He's taken dozens and dozens of courses with Tom. He holds him in the highest regard. We're lucky to have him on the show today. During TACON this year, that's an annual conference that uh, Tom founded, oh gosh, more than a quarter of a century ago, I think. Uh, he talked about the rising occurrence of home invasion that's armed intruders coming into a house. It's a home defender's worst nightmare. He's going to give us some stats on what the state of that rising problem is. We're going to talk about some strategies on how to keep intruders out of your home to buy you some time to assess the situation and make your self-defense plan and uh in our part two of our conversation which will be a separate podcast we'll talk about strategies for going live uh when those other preparations have failed to keep them out uh let's get right into it here's my conversation with uh, don west steve moses and our guest tom Givens. Well, Tom, welcome back to the show. We're grateful you made some time for us. You've had a busy season, I understand. Yeah, we just just finished up a annual tactical conference a few weeks ago, and about to head back to Texas in a few days. I really ought to just stay there. And if I if I heard right, uh, the the tickets for Tacon this year sold out faster than a Taylor Swift con- concert, right? Yeah, Th- this year's event sold out last year in in three days. And uh, we announced this year's, and it sold out. Uh, announced the 2024 event a few days ago, and it sold out in 11 and a half hours. For any of our listeners who don't know who you are, you're the founder of the Range Master Range Master Institute, and out of that came the Range Master Tactical Conference, better known as TACCON. What uh, for the folks who don't know TACCON, what's it all about? What's the experience like? Well, it's a it's an annual event we've been putting on for 26 years now, um, for the last couple of years and the foreseeable future. We're at the Dallas Pistol Club in Dallas, which has a very nice, uh, very expansive training facility there with nine or ten live fire ranges, and we uh, put up three classrooms and a uh, nice grassy area for the jets and uh, bladed impact weapons and and uh, combat casualty care training and whatnot, all the hands-on type stuff do the live fire on the various uh, ranges scattered over the property and uh, use one permanent classroom and a couple of uh, uh, wedding tents would be a good way to describe them, I guess, very large tents to seat about 100 people uh, for a lot of the classroom work. So we have, this year we have 43 nationally recognized trainers uh, teaching everything from uh, legal issues to combat medicine, 
um, tactics, history of modern firearms training, um, home invasions, and then the live fire stuff had uh, a huge variety of uh, trainers to do everything from stub nose pistols to modern uh, electronic sight use and everything in between. Uh, several uh, female instructors, including Lou Ann Hamlin, and uh, just about everybody that's anybody is either a presenter there or shows up and takes part in it. We had about 400 attendees from literally, I think we had every state in the U.S. represented this year. And when you say everyone and anyone, that includes our own Steve Moses, if I'm not mistaken. Steve, you've been involved with Range Mester for, for how long? Well, I actually uh, met Tom in 1999. I think I took my first course from him in 2000. I think, Tom, you may correct me. I think I've taken a course from you every year since then, at least one course, in some instances, uh, several courses. So mm -hmm. he is one of those people that, you know, I'm never going to catch up with. And uh, even when I feel like, okay, I've kind of gained in my knowledge and abilities, well, so has he. So I, I can't close that gap. And uh, this is, I was thinking about that. I've been, I believe now, to 20 of those. Uh, I just missed one year because of a death in a family. And it just gets better every every year. And this year was no exception. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it went off, went off real well. We put uh, a little over 200,000 rounds downrange in three days uh, in the live fire portions, plus all of the uh, classroom and hands-on training. It's uh, the largest event of its type. And uh, as I said, we've been doing it for 27 years. So the, the other similar conferences are pretty much uh, based on what we've been doing for the, over a quarter of a century. Tom tells us that every year in America, there's more than 1 million burglaries of occupied homes. He's going to tell us the difference between a burglary and a home invasion and a robbery. And he's going to tell us about the distinction between profit-motivated burglars and expressive burglars, which is something I hadn't heard before. Here's more of our conversation with Tom. Steve, when you came back from TACCON this year, you are very excited about a presentation Tom gave. Can you tell us a little bit about that presentation and what made you interested in it? Well, uh, first of all, Tom was teaching it. Second of all, it was on home invasions. And this is something that we have covered uh, on more than one occasion in prior CCW Safe uh, podcasts. So I went in there and I go, okay, I'm going to learn some stuff here. Uh, it's going to be something that's either useful for me uh, directly in terms of something I might deal with, or it's going to be something that perhaps I can share with some of our students and our audience. And uh, I, I tell you what, my expectations were greatly exceeded. Uh, it was a phenomenal presentation, great PowerPoint presentation. And uh, I actually learned a great deal to the extent that you that night, or actually it was on, yeah, I guess it was Sunday night when I was driving home, I was actually thinking about the presentation. And one of the things that I thought was concerning was the fact that more and more we're seeing home invasions that are not basically, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, bad guys on bad guys, you know, drug guys hitting drug houses, you know, stealing money, that kind of stuff. Uh, a lot of it is happening in uh, upper middle class, upper class, middle class homes where people are breaking in. Their intent 
is not to commit a burglary, which is can be, you know, if, if they come in your house and uh, it's not an intent to confront you, it's typically called, at least in Oklahoma, it was a first degree burglary. Uh, these people are looking to make contact with the, uh, the people whom they are uh, victimizing. And uh, the reasons they do that may vary, but it was very, very scary. And some of the, the cases that he talked about uh, the, just the mayhem and violence that was uh, visited on the, the homeowners was just extremely graphic and, and disturbing. So I'm just going to turn it over to Tom. Yeah. And and before we go there, I just wanted to mention, Steve, you told me about this topic and I was like you. My assumption was that most home invasions were people raiding drug houses, bad guys on bad guys. We knew there's money there. We know there's drugs there. And then they come in. But then I just yesterday looked up home invasions uh, in the Google News search and was shocked at how many home invasion stories had been reported just in the last 15 hours. And they weren't drug houses. They were armed thugs going in and roughing up old ladies and elderly couples, people who were vulnerable and who these you know criminals thought would be a pushover. And to your point, the difference between a burglary and a, a armed robbery home invasion they, they, um, so frequently they have zip ties on them they've come in with the intent to uh restrain somebody and uh, under force tom i think it's a great place for you to give us the benefit of your experience yeah, I'll jump right in then yeah back when i was doing patrol work in the 70s and 80s uh most home invasions were hostile takeovers by rival pharmaceutical retailers <laughs> yeah and, that you pretty much figure that if somebody had a, a, a violent home invasion, it was because they were thought to have a stash of dope or money or both in their home. But that's 50 years ago. That's not today. Today, it's everybody. As you, as you mentioned a minute ago, I looked at the uh, cases you noted that you found in the last 24 hours, and they were all just middle-class people mm -hmm. minding their own business in their own home, but somebody thought they had something. Uh, in one case, the 74-year-old woman, uh, they took uh, some valuables from inside the home and then took her vehicle and uh, then were later caught in the vehicle. But uh, they held a knife to her, threatened to kill her for what small amount of cash a 74-year-old woman typically have at home and a few knickknacks out of the house in her vehicle. That's, that is not a drug stash or a money stash. That That's just a typical citizen sitting in their house. Mm -hmm. That is extremely common nowadays, uh, much more than people realize. Let's, let's define some terms first. Um, they're, they're mistaken a lot of times. The typical layman comes home and finds the garage door open. His bicycle, kid's bicycle or his lawnmower is gone. What's the first words out of his mouth? I've been robbed. Robbed. Right. Mm -hmm. so that has absolutely nothing to do with robbery. Robbery is taking something away from him in person through force and violence or the threat of force and violence. A burglary is someone forcibly breaking into a building with the intent to commit a felony therein. Now, we always assume it's a theft. Uh, we always assume motivation is theft, but that's not necessarily the case. And it doesn't matter from a legal standpoint. It's breaking into a building with the intent to commit a felony therein. That felony may be theft or it may be rape. It may be uh, some kind of felonious assault, but it's, it's some kind of felony crime they're breaking into in order to uh, accomplish that. So that's what a burglary is. According to the FBI, there are about 3 million of those a year in the U.S. Uh, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, it's about 3.7 million. 
uh, doesn't matter which number you pick. Either way, it works out to over 8,000 a day. And uh, 8,000 a day is enough to be concerned about. That, that's not a rare occurrence. That's uh, not some esoteric threat that somebody faces every now and then. It's 8,000 a day, every damn day. Um, it's a very hard crime to solve. In the 2014, the uh, uh, arrest figures for burglary was 13.6% of the offense mm -hmm. resulted in an arrest. It's extremely difficult to uh, prosecute, especially the uh, profit type burglary where the homeowner's not at home. There's little cops to go on. Uh, the problem is about 28% of burglaries are burglaries of occupied dwellings. In other words, your home when the burglary occurs, that's, that's about a third. And that's a big deal. And according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, part of the Justice Department, uh, in 40% of those cases, the offender is armed. So this is where the danger comes in. You've got a very high volume of burglaries of occupied homes by armed intruders. Uh, that's a recipe for real disaster. Um, you get in between them and their exit, that's a bad thing. Um, if if what they came in for was not your money, but it was for you or your kids or your spouse that that's a bad thing so that's that's enough of those that we got to be concerned about that's roughly a million a year of burglaries of occupied homes and 40 percent of those by armed people so that's that's a big deal about uh, 260,000 last year i checked uh, resulted in serious injury to the homeowner which was defined as rape murder or aggravated assault uh so over a quarter of a million of those a year so that's that's a lot uh, that's that's enough to make me really concerned um, there are two kinds of burglars. There's what a psychologist would call an instrumental burglary, which I just call a profit-motivated burglar. That's, that's the guy who's there to steal your stuff. And then there's the expressive burglar, which is what Steve was alluding to. He's not there to take your stuff. If he takes your stuff, it's typically a secondary thing. It's, it's quite often just trophies, if you will. A souvenir. Yeah. Um, uh, they're there for you. They're not there for your stuff. They're there for you. So they, they operate completely differently. The profit-motivated burger is, is very limited uh, to the daytime almost exclusively. In fact, the vast majority of the profit-motivated burgers occur between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. Uh, now, the reason's obvious. Uh, what, what is it? Nobody's home. They're at work, hopefully. Right. In modern American culture, both part partners in a, in a couple work, kids are at school. Uh, in many blocks, there's nobody at home in the entire block in that 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. time frame. So you can kick doors, you can haul TVs out the front door, you can have local alarms ringing. Nobody cares because nobody's home to report it or leave and look into it. So that's the vast majority of those. The most of your expressive burglaries are going to occur at night. And as I said, they're, they're not there uh, for your stuff. They're there for you. They may take some stuff when they're done with you, but uh, they'll be dealing with you first. And uh, so that's that's the ones I'm really concerned about. The profit-motivated burglar, we can make it inconvenient enough for him that he'll go somewhere else because he's looking for an easy mark. He's looking to make a quick buck. Uh, with the expressive burglar, we're going to have to not only take some precautions to try to keep him out, but have a plan to deal with him if he gets in. And uh, so that's a completely different uh, ball game. And your, we talk about the difference between home invasions and burglaries, Tom, do you put these expressive burglars in the category of home invasions? Yeah, the problem is nobody, there's not a separate category like in the uh, uh, FBI's 
crime reporting system. There's not a separate category for home invasion. The home invasion is a type of burglary, so it's a subset of burglary. Mm. So all you get is the the total burglary numbers. There's not a breakdown. Uh, there's not a place in the uniform crime report for home invasion. It's simply a burglary. So we have to go through other research, the Bureau of Justice Statistics primarily, trying to figure out how many of those are actually home invasions rather than just simply a uh, profit-motivated burglary. That's, that's where we get the number of uh, about a million of these years from the BJS. So uh, it's it's hard to nail it down because in most jurisdictions, there's no difference in the reporting between a burglar that comes in at 2 in the afternoon and steals your TV and one that comes in at 2 in a.m. And, and rapes you. It's, they're both burglaries. Interesting. Don, if, uh, the term expressive burglar is new to me. Had you encountered that before? No, I haven't, actually. That's also a new term to me. I know from my work in the criminal justice system and having lots of conversations with police officers along the way that what Tom is saying really resonates, that from law enforcement's perspective, there's the guys that want to get away with it. They just want to get in, get your stuff, and be gone. They may have a drug problem, and they're looking to score some money or find your drugs or whatever it is and get away. And often those folks will ring the doorbell to try to be sure you aren't home. They have no intention of confronting somebody. And then there's that all that, that entirely other group of people that thrive on the confrontation. They may seek it out. They may have more than one agenda, but they don't shy away from the physical confrontation and the violence that accompanies it. In fact, they in some ways look for it, whether it's a carjacking or a face-to-face -face robbery or as we're talking here today, more of a home invasion type robbery. It, two distinct, it seems to me from what I've learned, two distinct mindsets of the criminal. The problem with the profit-motivated burglar typically is when they're surprised. Um, they knock on the door and nobody answers. Uh, they knock again, nobody answers. They go around back, kick in the back door, come in the house, and there's a homeowner. Uh, that That is, that is a common recipe for violence, but that wasn't planned on their part. It wasn't what they were there for. Mm -hmm. um, the, the other guys are breaking in with the actual intent. You know, you'll find these guys with rape kits. They got zip ties or duct tape or rope, uh, weapons, ski masks, whatnot uh, in, in a bag in the back of their car. It's actually a, a professional kit that they use in these uh, home invasions. So two, two completely different motivations, as you said. Now that we have a perspective on the threat that home intruders, armed burglars, can pose to our families, now we're going to talk about some simple common sense security strategies before we turn to our firearm that can delay a burglar's entry into our home, give us as armed defenders time to assess the threat, come up with our self-defense plan, and put it into motion. Here's more of our conversation with Tom. That's fascinating. We did a, we covered a case, the Melinda Herman case, if you guys remember that. And this was a woman who was home with her twin children, grade school kids, in the middle of the day in a suburb of Atlanta. Someone came pounding on the door, Don, to see if anyone was home. She ignored them, but kind of looked out the window and saw this guy go back to his van and then come marching up the yard with a crowbar. So she ran upstairs with her kids, grabbed the revolver her husband had just the week before taught her how to use and the guy splinters the door with the crowbar comes in and you know, it's funny don I remember that even when they, they called him and 
in court, they, they really had a hard time determining what his motives were because it seemed at first that he was there, didn't think anyone was home, and was a profit-motivated burglar. But for some reason, once he got the impression that there was someone home, probably a woman, he became this expressive burglar and actually tracked her down through three internally locked doors before she shot him four times in the face and neck. Um, and he ran off and bled <laughs> bad enough to crash his van into a tree and, and was captured. But that kind of explains you can have a, a one can turn into another even. Tragically, he survived. <laughs> so, uh, so what's uh, one thing I'm curious at is, um, as a homeowner discerning between the two, and I know like Melinda saw having someone mysterious or, or suspicious looking pounding on your door is one thing, you don't know necessarily their intent yet. Having seen somebody in a van marching towards your house with a crowbar, that tells you something different. So, as a, as a homeowner, an armed defender, uh, I imagine there's some vigilance that we need to have if this is something we're concerned about. And there's a difference between somebody that you're suspicious of who's outside your house, somebody who's forcibly entered your house. And there's, I think there's probably different ways of assessing the situation and approaching it. Nowadays with the, the prevalence of ring cameras and doorbell cameras, and whatnot, it's it's really hard to justify not having some way of seeing who's outside your home without opening a door. That can be as simple as an inset doorway so that you've got a window that allows you to see behind people at the door down to something as simple as a, a peephole, a viewport in the door. But one should never open the door to unknown people. Once you've done that, they're in the house. You, typical homeowners not going to stop the bums rush by two or three bad guys. Uh, once you open that door, you, you essentially just let them take over. So you need to be able to see who's outside before you open the door. And, you know, now I, I don't go buy anything anywhere. I buy everything online. So the UPS guy, the FedEx guy, the, uh, all sorts of delivery people are at my door all the time. So you can't go nuts every time somebody comes to your door unexpectedly. That, that happens all day in modern society. But if you have some way to evaluate who that person is, that would be helpful. There's a lot of difference between the UPS guy coming up the walkway with a box in his hand and some thug coming up the walkway with a crowbar in his hand or somebody marching on the door with a rifle in his hand. Uh, you're not to be able to see those things before you actually have a door open into your residence. So tell us more about uh, what you taught the folks at TACCON. All right, well, let's look, let's look at some of the background. First off, this just baffles me, but 40% of home burglaries involve somebody walking in through an unlocked door. Mm. Four out of 10, two out of five. Uh, that baffles you. You wouldn't think in the 21st century you'd have to tell anybody to lock their doors. But um, that's extremely common. About 10% come in through a window, an unlocked window. So when you put those two together, half of the entries are made through an unlocked door or window. That's goofy. Lock your damn door. How hard is that? Um, Window screens removed in about 10% of the cases. That, that's not that many. And one of the things I've, I've seen far back as when I worked patrol was if you have double pane windows, as long as they're locked, nobody ever comes in through those. Uh, they'll come in through if you leave them unlocked, they'll simply slide it up and walk in. But uh, if they're locked, uh, for some reason, they, they just don't like double pane windows at all. So that pretty much eliminates that entry point as long as you leave them locked. 
um, about 34% of the time they break down the front door. Uh, that's a little counterintuitive. You'd think you would want an entry point that people driving by can see, but they don't care. And again, as we said earlier, in most blocks, there's nobody there to see it anyway. So they just, they just don't care. So about a third of the time, they just break down the front door. And I got a question for you, and I think, Steve, you might know this. Do you have any numbers or stats or even auxiliary experience on how long does it take to get through a locked door? Because I saw a YouTube video of a guy with a crowbar got through a front door that was locked in seconds. Six seconds, seven seconds? Well under a minute. Well under a minute. Yeah, I've, I've, I've kicked doors in with one kick. It's not... <laughs> Yeah, what they'll do sometimes, Sean, is they will actually use like a screwdriver or something to that effect just so they can be a little bit more quiet. That's what happened to me. The guy, you know, wedged a big flathead screwdriver uh, in the door and it just it just gave it up real quick, offered no real resistance at all. It's interesting. And, and Tom, see, talk about little things that make a difference. And and we did the, the Kavanaugh case. This was a former prosecutor if i'm not mistaken and she was at home with her uh her partner and somebody came in the house just walked in they were thought it was they were mistaken about where they were and they weren't an actual burglar but they didn't even lock their front door someone was able to to come in right and we locked we talked about the charles dorsey case where he had locked his door and it was a drunk friend of a neighbor who had been pounding and thought he was at his neighbor's house trying to get in and he'd called the cops, and at one point he had unlocked the deadbolt, expecting to greet police, but he never relocked it. And this guy came back and started really aggressively hammering it, and the, the latch failed. And arguably, if he had had his deadbolt in, uh, it would have taken a lot more effort for a guy without any tools to bust his front door down. And Don, we talk about this all the time. If you're going to make an investment in a firearm, a decent firearm, that's a reasonable investment. There's things that cost way less money than a firearm that could decrease the chances that someone's going to come into your house. And that could just be a, a good deadbolt, good locks on your front door, double pane windows, or at least decent locks on your windows. Right, mm -hmm. Tom? Sure. Anything that serves as a deterrent that slows them down gives you an opportunity to better manage the time, better manage the distance. And as Tom said earlier, it's pretty cheap stuff to get a doorbell or some sort of alarm system, good lighting, peepholes, stuff that's going to be very, very effective a lot of times. It may not save you from the three guys that are hell-bent on coming through, but at the same time, it's going to deter a lot of those opportunistic situations. Yeah. None of the things I'm about to recommend uh, are going to keep people out. That's not the intent. It's to give you enough time to find an effective defense. Um, if you've got three seconds, you're you're not going to have a very effective defense. If you're asleep at three in the morning, what what do you think three seconds is going to be? Uh, on the other hand, if you can del delay them for a minute, what well, what could you do? You, you wake up, get up, get your gear together, think about what to do. And you got a minute. A minute is a hell of a lot better than three seconds. And none of the things I'm about to talk about will keep out someone who's determined to get in. That's not the point. The point is to let you know you have a problem and to give you enough time to respond to that problem. If you're, uh, you know, you wake up, you open your eyes, and there's a guy standing over your bed with a butcher knife in his hand, it's a little late to get into that loop. Sure. And if they're kicking at my door, which is a steel door and steel frames with a good deadbolt, 
and making my alarm go off and making my dogs bark, then I've got time to get up, get a 12 gauge and go to the catwalk and say, okay, come on in. But uh, it's like a roach motel. All the tracks lead in, none lead out. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about that. First let's off, most, most, uh, most residential architecture is designed to facilitate bad guys. Um, a hollow core door, for instance, that keeps the children out of your bedroom at night. It does not keep anybody else out. Uh, it wasn't designed for that. Uh, any exterior doors need to be solid and not have these decorative panels in them. And ideally, you want a metal door and a metal frame. Uh, a wooden door and a wooden frame is kind of kidding yourself. Uh, I've kicked those open with one swift kick of a boot uh, more times than I could count. Uh, the, even if you got a decent deadbolt, it just tears through the wood. Oh, it's just not that hard to get in. And I can so, only assume, Tom, that was in the line of service. Not you just don't go around busting open uh, wooden doors. Yeah. Hey, I know. So a deadbolt lock is important, but it has to go in the metal. Uh, you're kidding yourself with it going into a wooden door frame. It'll just tear right through it. Uh, one of the things that Steve saw in, in the presentation when we did it live was uh, you know, photographs of doors, the bolt just torn right through the wood, just to track right through the wood with the double door through it. So it's it's got got to have metal to metal. If you don't want to go to the expense of a metal door and a metal frame, at the very least, you want to get an oversized strike plate. That's the metal on the frame of the door that the lock goes into. Uh, one eight inches to a foot long with multiple screw holes in it, and then put three-inch screws in every one of those openings into the door frame itself. Then you've got a metal the deadbolt going into a metal strike plate that's secured with screws that go all the way through the two two by fours around the frame of the door. And that gives you several kicks before it comes open rather than just one. So again, we're buying time. You're, you're buying the time to say, I have a problem. I need to respond to the problem. Here's what I'm going to do about the problem. And if they have to kick on the door repeatedly, because you've got it set up correctly like that, then that gives you that time. So I'm guessing I'm guessing you don't have a decorative stained glass window feature on your front door, Tom. Yeah. No, no, no. They're solid. And as I said, they're, they're actually solid metal doors and, and metal frames. First thing we did when we moved into this house. And uh, you can kick on my door all you want to. It, it makes a loud reverberating noise, but that's all it does. Um, the next thing is there are various designs of door stops that you take out during the day so the door operates free, freely, but at night, you slip them into place and they prevent the door from opening even if the lock is defeated. Um, various real simple designs, and we show some in the PowerPoint that Steve was talking about, but uh, very simple designs. Um, some of them, just a metal plate on the floor with a couple of slots you stick a metal piece into at night that blocks the door from opening. In the daytime, pick it up, move it out of the way. It's a door stop to keep the door open in the daytime if you wish, but it's out of the way. But it, it'll keep somebody from just kicking the door in. Uh, the next thing people need to do is be a little more careful about personal information security. Uh, about 15% of people post on the internet when they're going on vacation and uh, that sort of thing, which is, tells all the burglars you're not going to be home for the next week or two. Um, most, most residential burglars live within about a two-mile radius of your home. And... Uh, don't think that they don't know what goes on in the neighborhood. They know who's around, who's not. Uh, they, they, they look, they're out looking. This is what they do for a living. They're out looking for this stuff constantly. So the other things you can do, for instance, uh, don't put your name on your mailbox. Because then they come to the door and ask for you by name. Oh, you must know us. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. uh, you don't put Ms. or Miss or Mrs. on your 
mailbox if you live alone as a female. But now you just told all the thugs that there's a single female here. Uh, that's the last thing you want the thugs to think. Uh, people call you on the phone, start asking personal questions. Don't answer them. There's no reason to do that. Somebody calls to ask for the man of the house, you're a female that lives alone. Don't say, oh, oh, there's not one. The guy just put a big check mark by your name. I say, oh, he's tied up right now. What do you need? Uh, so stop giving them the information they need to victimize you. Next thing I, I would touch on is lighting. That's a very misunderstood uh, mm. aspect of this. Uh, a lot of people put up floodlights to uh, illuminate what they consider to be the, the danger zones around the house. And the problem with that is if it's actually dark outside, when you turn on the spotlight, you can't see anything beyond it. You, you're creating uh, a dead area behind the, the area that you're illuminating. So uh, somebody could be standing two feet beyond what your spotlight is shining down on and, and you can't see them on the other side of the light. It's often called a curtain of light effect. Uh, they're behind the curtain and you can't see them. Uh, what you want on the exterior lights, especially are floodlights, not spotlights. You want to light the entire yard up, not a specific spot within the yard and leave dead spots that you can't see into otherwise. And uh, I think motion detector lights that charge on uh, solar panels are, are, are the way to go there because you don't have to have an electrician run wiring for them. And that sort of thing, I've got those on the outside of my house on the perimeter fence and whatnot. And they sit and charge all day long in the daylight. And then uh, anything that moves at night turns them on for a few minutes and then they turn back off. And you know, if it's a windy night and they come off and on all night, who cares? I'm asleep. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. You suspect those have a deterrent effect too? If you're moving into a dark yard and all of a sudden it's well illuminated? Yeah, you know, probably not, okay. <laughs> to be honest. Um, the thugs know about them. I mean, there's nothing secret about this stuff. You know, in, in my area, all the houses have them. And they know their own sensors. They know it's not somebody turning the light on. I don't I don't think it's a deterrent at all. I, I see video every day uh, in, in my, say, a 10, 15-mile radius of my home. One of the big crime problems around here is people going through cars at night, 2 or 3 in the morning. And you see them out there. The, the light comes on, and they don't even look up. They just go right about opening the car and doing their thing. If anything, the light's illuminating their work for them. Uh, the purpose of the lights not to scare them off. It doesn't do that. Purpose of the lights so you can see when you look at your ring camera or you look out the window. You can see what's out there. You can see if is the wind blowing my palm tree around. Is the I've got a really fat possum that comes over my fence pretty much nightly, sets mine off. But it'd be nice to be able to look out and see is that the fat possum or is that some burglar? So sure. that's what the lighting's for. The deterrent now. It's you're kidding yourself. Oh, a burglar alarm not a deterrent in the least. And if you're going to have an alarm, it's going to have to be a monitor alarm to do you good. A monitor alarm means when it goes off, it notifies somebody. It may be an alarm monitoring station. It may be direct, go directly to a, a police station, depending on where you are. Uh, but if it's just a local alarm, which means it just makes noise at your home, it's completely useless because nobody's home. Nobody hears them. Most of the police departments don't even dispatch on local alarms anymore. Somebody does call them. So, is there an argue, is there an argument if it's armed while you're sleeping that that gives you more time? Sure, that, but that's all it's for. It's not that's all keep, it is is giving you more time. Not gonna make anybody go away. It's not gonna keep anybody out. You know, I've got alarm signs in my yard, but they're I, I, I have no illusion that somebody's gonna stop and read them if they mm. can. But uh, you you want the alarm for as I said, if, if a monitored alarm because when you're not home, that's the only way you're gonna get a response to it. And as you said, the alarm is is primarily just a warning system that, hey, we've got a problem sometime, get up and check it out. Um, the next thing would be dogs. 
dogs are not the deterrent people think they are and, and it's kind of a two-edged sword there if you actually have a dog capable of hurting people they're going to hurt people uh, they invariably bite the ups guy the mailman the kids selling girl scout cookies the meter reader all of which will get you sued aside from the point we don't want innocent people chewed up and if they're not capable of doing real violence to somebody they'll just come and stomp them now, I've, I've got four small show dogs that one stomp and they're gone uh, one of them stomp a piece uh, their job is not to fight intruders their job is to bark when somebody comes up the walkway and say hey daddy there's something outside and then i go check on it not not the dog yeah in fact one of those articles they sent you the invaders stole the two dogs that the guy had right pretty common so that that doesn't do much next thing will be cameras uh, cameras do not deny entry they do not deter bad guys they do not make you safer so you know, people need to get get some understanding of that uh, cameras are everywhere now they are they are not a deterrent whatsoever to bad guys they they serve two functions for, for us the first as i said before if you've got external cameras you can see what you have do i actually have a problem or do i not actually have a problem do i have a mailman do i have an intruder do i have a possum or a car prowler um it, the ring camera can tell you those things without you having to go outside which is critical uh, but the other thing i think they, they can do which is often overlooked is they can document what happened um don if i had a if i had to shoot an intruder would would a video of him kicking in my front door be useful in court later <laughs> well I, I think that it might be helpful yes i think it might mm-hmm. yeah i i one of the uh Illustrations I used for that in my PowerPoint is the guy literally kicking a door out of the hinges. You see a wood splinters just flying from the door frame, and the guy's got a pistol in his hand. Now, if I showed that image to responding cops, that would save a whole lot of yakking about what went on. Well, you know, one of the critical issues when you are defending your own home, of course, is whether it was a forced entry, a non-consensual entry, that sort of thing. And when you have any clear evidence that it was, in fact, forcible, non-consensual, then you trigger those presumptions that f- clearly favor the homeowner in any kind of home defense scenario, separate and apart from the standard, you know, self-defense uh, or the self-defense standards, right? So to me, that's that's 99.5% of the value of the camera right there is the documentation. Uh, you, you show the guy's prowling outside with a gun in his hands before he kicks your door down. Oh, that That's corroboration of your version of the events. Sure, that shortens the police investigation for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, no, I'm, all, I'm all for making things as easy for them as possible. Don, you're oh, oh sure. Well, yeah, the knocking the door down's the extreme end of that. Uh, it may not be quite that violent, quite that physical, but when you can show evidence that someone is out there casing your place, making movements toward it, setting up, getting ready, and then. If there is something at the door, at the window, that might be sort of equivocal, uh, when you've got this other corroborating evidence, it makes it clear what their intent was and makes your burden, to the limited degree it is, to show that it was a non-consensual entry, that this wasn't uh, somebody that had been invited over earlier. We we weren't scuffling around and, and broke the door in, in rough horseplay. Uh, yeah, I kicked the door in with a pistol and saying that, that, that would be pretty useful yes exactly exactly so that's that's the sort of things i'd like people to look at as you said before uh, 
just buying a gun and thinking that takes care of it's rather short-sighted look at a realistic look at your doors how, how easy would it be to breach them take some steps to fix that even if it's as simple as a bigger strike plate and longer screws give you the time to get up and get moving uh have an alarm system and actually use it i couldn't tell you how many burglars i've looked at where they got an alarm system that wasn't on at mm. the time just like having a carry permit and having your gun in the sock drawer when you're at the walmart you know, it's, it's not going to be any good um if you want a dog make sure you get a dog that pays attention to what's going on and, and barks if something is unusual not, not a dog that bites people the one that lets you know you've got a problem and no uh, sure a dog's a, a an early warning detection device at, at best when it comes to security yeah. mine are furry little burger alarms that's all they are they just give you an extra few seconds yeah yeah and what you don't want to do is wake up at three in the morning with somebody already in the house uh, that that's a much much harder problem to deal with there's no reason they ever have to deal with that none uh, you, you you literally can't get into my house in the amount of time it would take for me to get up and come out of defense. So, thanks for your call. All right, friends, that's the end of our part one of our conversation with Tom Gibbons. Next time, we're going to have a conversation about how to deal with threats at your front door. We're going to talk about adopting the right mindset to stay out of trouble. And then we're going to talk about what to do if the intruder gets in despite all your best efforts. Until then, be smart, stay safe, take care. Lock your damn door. How hard is that?